Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Debbie. If you have a Bible, if you would, turn with me to the book of Galatians. If you don't have a Bible, you can use the the black one there that should be in the rack in front of you. Page 973 is where you will find our, our passage for today. The Bible is one book, but it has many different books and many different kinds of books in it. And the book that we are studying this fall is actually a letter. It's a letter written by Paul, who was a leader uh, in the early church. Uh, And he went all over the Roman Empire telling people the good news of what Jesus had done for them. And those people believed his message, and they became followers of Jesus, or what we call Christians. And this letter, Paul wrote to Christians living in the region of Galatia. Hence the clever name, Galatians. And we will be in chapter 2. That was a joke. You can chuckle with that. It's okay. Uh, We will be in chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11. Let's give our attention to God's word through Paul. But when Cephas, Cephas is another name for Peter, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know That a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners... Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And while the grass withers and the flowers fade, the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help. Lord, we may be confused by... Places and names, 
We may not exactly follow what it is that that Paul is saying here. And so we just pray, God, that you would help us to understand and that you would make your word come alive to us by the power of your spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Justified. It's a word Paul uses several times in this passage. Uh, And pastor and theologian, a British pastor and theologian named John Stott says this, that if you don't understand what it means to be justified, then you don't understand Christianity. That's bold. If you don't understand what it means to be justified, then you don't understand Christianity. We could put it this way. Justification... The act of being justified, being made right with God, sets Christianity apart from every other religion and every other system of thought and every other worldview in the world. Every other way of thinking. Now, it's it's common, right? It's common for us to say that all religions and worldviews are, are basically the same. You may hold that view. You may even say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not, I don't really want to label, you know, I'm, I'm just more of a, a spiritual person. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't, I don't like any of, of the labels that are out there. But I would still argue that Christianity is different. Right? Because when, when we say that we, when we say that all religions are the same, or all worldviews are the same, there, there are some similarities. Right? There, maybe deities are involved, uh, worship, is involved, a certain way of life is involved, but if we're going to say that they are basically all the same, what we're saying is that at the very basic level, at the very foundational level, that all, all religions and spiritualities are basically on the ground floor the same. And that's where we're going to have to disagree. Because I'm going to argue, based on what Paul says here, what the Bible says here, that Christianity offers a very different alternative to every other way of thinking and believing in the world. At the end of the day, whether you're religious or spiritual or none of the above, it all comes down to this word, justified. And whether you're religious or whether you're not, you want, in some sense, to be justified. You want to be accepted. You want to be approved. You want to be made right. If you're religious, then maybe you want to be accepted by God. If you're not religious, I would argue you probably still want to live a a good life. You want to live a life that's acceptable to those around you, to those who are important to you, maybe to your spouse or your children or your boss. And so at some level, to put your head down on the pillow at night, you are looking for something to justify you, something that makes you acceptable. And so what is that? What is it that enables you to put your head down on the pillow at night and go to sleep? Or what is it that haunts you and keeps you from being able to sleep at night? I would submit that it has something to do with what you're looking to for your justification. And so today we come to the heart of Paul's letter to Galatians. He says in these verses the very, 
the very message of this whole letter. And it's this, how a person can be justified. Which also, by the way, is the heart of the gospel that we proclaim. It's the heart of the good news that we believe. And here's what it tells you. We are made right with God, justified, by trusting faith, by trusting in Christ alone, and not in our performance. That's... That's the message of Christianity. That's, the, that's what it takes to be justified. That's what it means to be justified. We are made right with God by trusting in Christ alone and not in our performance. Now, maybe you've been around the church a while. Maybe you've been around uh, churches like ours for a while. And so you would say, like, okay, yeah, that's nothing new. I get it. Right? I, I, we, we, I mean, we, we really do say some version of this or we try to say some version of this every week. And so you might even be prone to say, good grief, Kevin, could you just ride a different horse for a change? No, I can't. Because we always forget the gospel. Well, I don't know about you. I think you do. I know I do. And so I need to hear this again and again and again. We are always, we have a tendency to look outside of ourselves. Excuse me, we have a tendency to look to ourselves to justify ourselves. And so we need to hear again and again and again that God has already done that for us in the person of his son, Jesus. Because you and I, I think, are a lot like Peter. Peter, in this passage, Paul says he is out of step with the truth of the gospel. We get out of step a lot. So we're going to look at this passage today. One, how we get out of step with the gospel. And then two, how the gospel actually brings us back in step. First, how do we get out of step? That's what Paul says about Peter. It's how Paul confronts Peter. Would you imagine how awkward and tense this situation would have been? Peter uh, is one great Christian leader. Paul is another one. And here we have Paul confronting Peter in front of the whole church. That would have been very uncomfortable. And just imagine, right, that we... We come to this table, uh, which we will do here in a few minutes, uh, and one of the elders in our church stands up and calls me out on something, right? Everybody else in the room would probably put their eyes on the ground and be like, oh boy, what do we do now, right? So imagine, don't you imagine the tension and awkwardness of this, uh, of this moment as Paul has to confront Peter. Why does he take that bold step? Why does he do that? Look at verse 14. He sees that Peter's conduct is not in step with the truth of the gospel. That, that phrase, in step, it's where we get our word orthopedic from. It means to walk straight. Peter is not walking straight. We could say that he is failing the gospel sobriety tests. Right? The line of the gospels here, Peter is veering off over here. Another way to put it is we could say that Peter's out of sync. This, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but uh, sometimes the, the calendar that's on my smartphone and the calendar that's on my computer will say two different things, right? They're not syncing. They're out of sync with each other. Some of you are like, yeah, that actually happens to me quite a lot, right? Peter is out of sync with the truth of the gospel, 
Peter is out of sync with the gospel he says he believes. How so? Well, because he was eating with the Gentiles. One week he's eating with the Gentiles, and then the next week he's not. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you, you might be saying, what in the world does that have to do with anything? What does that even mean, eating with Gentiles? So let's, let's get some background. Let's try to understand what's happening here. Going back thousands of years, the Jewish people did not fellowship with Gentiles. Okay, there were Jewish people and there were Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And the Jews had a complex series of laws, you could call them clean laws, that kept them separated from the nations around them. And those, those laws were designed to teach them. They were things like the food laws of the Old Testament, things like circumcision. They were designed, those laws were designed to teach them that God was holy and they were not. And so in order to come into God's presence, you had to be made clean. Okay? And, there, and the Old Testament law had a, had a system for that. The problem is Gentiles didn't obey those laws. And so Jews did not share the table. They didn't have fellowship. That's what it means to eat with someone, is to have fellowship with them. Jews didn't have fellowship with Gentiles because the Gentiles were unclean. But then Jesus comes along and he fulfills all of those clean laws. All of those laws are superseded by Jesus. Jesus himself says this, but it's probably made most acute to Peter himself. If you go back to the book of Acts chapter 11, you'll find where Peter has been given a vision by God. Peter one day is praying and God gives him a vision three times. And the meaning of that vision is this, that there are no longer unclean people. That everyone, Jew and Gentile, can be made clean in Jesus. And that allows Peter to go to the Gentiles and proclaim the good news to them so that they can be saved. That's what we see happen in Acts 10 and 11. So Peter himself has received a vision where God overrules those clean laws. A person is made clean not by circumcision or by eating kosher foods or not eating bacon but by trusting in Christ. So if God welcomes all people through Christ, then that means Jews and Gentiles can eat at the same table. All right? So Peter comes to visit Paul's home church in Antioch. Antioch is a city some 300 miles north of Jerusalem, and the church there is actually mostly Gentile. There are some Jews, but it's mostly Gentile. And so Peter, when he comes to visit is eating with and sharing life with the Gentiles. People that he would have formally snubbed or ignored or considered unworthy of his time. So a dramatic change has happened in Peter's life. But then, some visitors from Jerusalem show up. Men claiming to be from James. And they have a different message. In fact, Paul calls them the circumcision party which is not a party you want to go to. I worked it in. All right. 
this group, this group of believers, so-called believers, Paul calls them false brothers, they said that a person needed to be circumcised and basically become Jewish in order to be accepted by God. So they have a very different message. Paul says it's, it's a very different gospel. Paul says it's no gospel at all. But they come to Antioch. And what does Peter do? He pulls back. He stops eating with the Gentiles. He, he withdraws from them. It's like in, that, in the school lunchroom when the friend who used to eat with you uh, moves to the table with all the cool kids and doesn't eat with you any longer. That's what, that's what Peter does. He withdraws and separates himself from the Gentiles. And his example leads other Jews to do the same. Even Barnabas, who had shared time with Paul and preached with Paul to Gentiles, even Barnabas is pulled away by Peter's example. Now, has Peter changed his views? Has he forgotten the vision that he received from God? Has he started believing something else? No. Right? We have his letters in the New Testament. We know that he believes the gospel. He confirmed it in last week's sermon. We saw where Peter and Paul agreed on the gospel. So Peter is not, what's happening is Peter's not denying the gospel with his lips. He's denying it with his life. His walk and his talk are now out of sync. They do not line up. Paul calls it hypocrisy in verse 13. Why? Why does Peter do that? Why would this great pillar of the church all of a sudden become a hypocrite? Not denying the gospel with his lips, but denying it with the way that he lives his life. Look at verse 12. Paul tells us exactly why. He drew back and separated himself because he was afraid. He feared those of the circumcision. What's Peter afraid of? It's not clear. Maybe he wanted their approval. Maybe he was afraid of their criticism. Maybe he feared losing his influence as a leader. Maybe he was afraid of looking foolish or being branded a sinner in Jewish eyes. Maybe he was afraid that he was losing part of his Jewish identity. So we have at work here ethnic pride, what we commonly call racism. Whatever the reason... Peter's fear causes him to live out of step with the gospel. And we understand that, don't we? We do all kinds of things. Things we could never explain in a hundred years. We do all kinds of things out of fear. We become workaholics because we fear being called lazy. Or we fear dad's, uh, dad's disapproval. We strive to look 20, even if we're 40 or 13. Because 
we fear not being accepted by our peers. In other words, we want to be justified. We may not deny the gospel with our lips, but our lives reveal a very different story. So, how does the gospel help us? How does the gospel bring us back in step? Well, look at how Paul confronts Peter. He doesn't say, you idiot, repent. You should know better. No, he reminds them. He reminds him of what they know. He reminds Peter of what he knows, of what he already knows to be true. Look at verse 15. He says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Peter, we've grown up learning, learning and studying God's word. We know his promises. We know his laws. We're not like the Gentiles who have grown up apart from God's promises and laws. He's using that word sinner in a very limited sense. Right? He's saying, look, we're Jews by nature. This is how we've grown up. We know all of these things. And yet, verse 16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. What, what does it mean to be justified? When Paul says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, what is he saying? Justified was a legal term. It's a courtroom term. If you were brought before the court, if you were brought before the judge, justified is what you wanted to hear, because to be justified means not guilty. It is the opposite of condemnation. It is the opposite of guilt. To put it another way, to be justified is to be accepted as righteous. That's why the word justified and righteous are similar. To be justified means to be accepted as righteous. Here's how theologian J.I. Packer puts it. To justify in the Bible means to declare of a man on trial that he is not liable to any penalty, but is entitled to all the privileges due to those who have kept the law. Justifying is the act of a judge pronouncing the opposite sentence to condemnation, that of acquittal and legal immunity. And so to be justified is to be declared righteous before the judge. And the question is, how does a person stand before God not guilty? How do you and I Gain acceptance from God. Look again at verse 16. Paul emphasizes the answer by repeating it, by saying it three different ways. First, he says it generally. We know that a person, any person, man or woman, we know that a person is not justified by works, but by faith. Then he gets personal. We also have believed, you and I have believed in Christ Jesus 
in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. And then he goes universal. No one anywhere will be justified by works of the law. And so hopefully you see that Paul is setting up two ways to live. Two ways by which you can try to to gain acceptance to God. Either by your performance, right? What he calls works of the law, obedience, doing all of the right things. This can even be true if you're not a religious person. Right? You can, maybe you're not, uh, maybe you don't believe anything about the church or about Christianity, but I would still argue that you still live by some standard. There's some measure of performance that you use to measure yourself and judge others. That's something. Uh, I remember when I was in college, our house, the apartment that we lived in, was a block behind a coffee shop on the corner. Um, This was before coffee shops were everywhere. Uh, And so my roommate would often joke as we drove by, because uh, like, the coffee shop was usually full of guys, particularly on the outside, who were always playing hacky sack. Um, and so my roommate, who was a very straight-laced, uh, you know, type A personality, would always like drive by and cast judgment on the, the hacky sackers, right? He's like, oh, there we go, all the nonconformists who are conforming to each other. Which is true, right? You have, whether you're a nonconformist, or you're a conformist. There is some standard by which you, uh, there is some standard to which you hold yourself and by which you judge others. We seek to be justified by our works. The alternative to that, Paul says, is to be justified by faith, by trusting in Christ alone. By believing that Christ has done all the work already for you and resting on him. One of my favorite illustrations uh, of this is uh, the great Walinda, who was a a tightrope walker. Some of you have heard me tell this story before. Uh, But he he pulled a tightrope across Niagara Falls. This was in the days before Niagara was as big as it was, but as it is, but it's still pretty big. And... He walked on the tightrope across the falls, and he would carry a balance beam, and he pushed a wheelbarrow, right? And I want you to imagine that you're watching him day after day do all of these stunts. You know how capable he is to cross the the tightrope over the the waterfall. And he comes to you uh, on this side of the the river, and he, he has his wheelbarrow there, and he says, jump in. How would you respond to the great Walinda? Heck no. Right? Now you know he can do it. You know he's capable of doing it. But it is an act of faith to trust him, right? To to get in the wheelbarrow and trust him to do it. Paul says there are two ways to live. Either you try to approach God on your own through works of the law and performance, or you can approach God in the performance of Christ. Those are are really, when it comes down to it, the only 
two options. And as Paul says, there's only one way to be justified. There is only one way in which you will be declared righteous. And when we see that, that is what brings us back in line. How, how, how would the gospel have corrected Peter? Why did Peter break table fellowship? Right? He was beginning to act as if the Gentiles needed to live like Jews. But when Paul confronts him with the gospel and reminds Peter of what the gospel is, that enables Peter to say, hey, you know what? If God accepts these Gentiles based on the merits of Christ alone, then I can have table fellowship with them. I can eat with them. So what is that for you? How do, we, how do we walk out of step with the gospel? How do we live hypocritically? What are, those, what are those extra things that we would add to the gospel? Right? Where we, we, would, we would share a church, but maybe we wouldn't share a table. We would say, yeah, I can sit in the pew next to somebody who votes Democrat, but I sure couldn't eat with them. Is that it? I could, I could sing in the same room with a black brother or sister, but I, I don't know that I could eat with them. Whatever that is, whatever hypocrisy that is, it is adding to the gospel. Uh, and it is causing us to walk out of step with the gospel rather than in line with it. And so let me just close by, again, pointing to those two ways to live. You can either try to earn your way to God by works of the law. Or you can be accepted by faith in Christ. This is the one that will get you all the way home. Let's pray. God of grace and forgiveness, we thank you for the mercy that you have shown us in Jesus. God, we pray that you would help us to believe the good news of the gospel. That we are made right in Christ.